name is Daniel T, and welcome to the SA Fireside Podcast. Each week, we bring you another fireside chat with an old-timer discussing the questions and topics we compiled surveying the world of SA. You can visit us on safireside.com to hear all the recordings. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at daniel at safireside.com. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. It's our hope and our goal that this recording will help those old and new to the program to gain more tools that will help further their recovery. And so, without further ado, it's time to hear today's Fireside Chat. Welcome back to another Fireside Chat. Today we have Tom Kay from sunny California, although it's been raining over there recently, I hear. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, to, good morning to you. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to sit with the to sit with me and to, to to share your story, to go through these questions. I'm sure you're a little familiar with the format, um, and I'm excited to be uh, doing this again. I've had quite quite a few months of uh, very busy, unable to sit down and get this going again, and I, I really want to wrap up this season right now. So thank you so much uh, for for being a part of it. So. Uh, the way we do it is we'll start off with your uh, your story for around 15 to 25 minutes and then we'll go into these questions and um and the floor is all yours go ahead well thank you um and i should have said good afternoon we have quite a time difference between us um well so uh my name is tom i am a recovering sexaholic and uh, my sobriety date is uh 5 and for that, I'm never sufficiently grateful. Um, so a little bit about my story. Um, I always like to, to mention that there are those that come into this program crawling on their hands and knees because they realize they have no other options. And then there are those like me who get pushed or forced into this program. And if we're fortunate, we also will learn that we have no other options. I'm one of the fortunate ones. Um, I came into this program at the strong suggestion of the state of California. And what that means is that I was on parole for, of all things, a sex offense. I came into my first essay meeting with a court card, knowing that if I didn't get that signed, I was probably going to go back to prison. That was my only reason for being in an essay meeting, because I was not a sexaholic. Uh, you guys were. So I listened, signed my card. And I got out of there. I called my wife and I told her, guess what? I have to go to a sex addiction class. That's what I called SA meeting. And she laughed and she said, you're not a sex addict. I said, I know. Isn't that stupid? And little did she know, but most importantly, little did I know 
that I was a sexaholic. I continued to go to those meetings. Um, I eventually stopped calling them classes. We used to have a guy in our first meeting, my Monday night meeting. He used to always say, you know, I sure love these classes. Um, I learned to stop calling them classes. And I listened to what the people were sharing. And they started sharing my story. Uh, when I started reading the white book, in fact, I thought about today, I just read the white book to everybody because that was my story. Uh, but there are definitely some differences. Um, they listen, I listened to their, their shares and for some reason, everything started fitting for me. I, I, I had a wonderful sponsor when I first started. He actually didn't want to sponsor me because he was a lot younger than I was. He felt that he couldn't sponsor somebody older. I was in my 40s, uh, 45, 46 when I first came into the program. Um, but he did. And he took me through my first step. And my very first first step was probably the most freeing experience, the most awe-inspiring experience I've ever had. So some of the things I'm going to share with you, I had totally blocked out. I did not know any of this until I started opening myself up to the God of my understanding. And this is what I learned. I learned that I had probably been a sexaholic since my early childhood. I can remember the first sexual experience of trying to have sex uh, when I was in third grade with the girl next door. I don't know where I learned that behavior. Uh, to this day, I don't know but I remember the incident like it was yesterday. I was molested when I was nine years old by a neighbor teenager. And he taught me just about everything I needed to know about sex. And he didn't just share it by words. Um, he shared it by example. And I felt pretty guilty because I liked it. And I think that's the point when I was off to the races. Um, and it was all about sex. I lost my virginity at 12 years old. I remember every time my kids, and I have a lot of children, every time they turned 12, I remembered my own 12-year-old experience. And I thought, oh, my God, I was so young. I shouldn't have been that, that, that young. It should have been later, but it wasn't. Uh, throughout middle school, I was able to find uh, girls who were sicker than I was, uh, even in middle school. Throughout high school. I had my first real girlfriend, my first love, you know, that first step past puppy love. And I couldn't even stay true to her. Um, and it was all about sex. I grew up in the late 60s. And so uh, we all did a lot of drugs. Uh, I probably could have made drugs work. But when I turned 18, I stopped drugs. Uh, so I was not a member of the herbal program. Uh, I never liked the taste of alcohol uh, or oh, a little wine if I smoked too much weed, <laughs> uh, but I never liked that. So I, I was not a member of the beverage program. Um, I was a skinny little kid. I probably could have been a member of the food program because I didn't know how to eat. Um, but this was the one that I picked for whatever reason. I was definitely a sex addict and it was all about lust. Uh, you know, we learned that that's the driving force and that was the driving force for me. Um, I've learned through the years that lust always demands a price. 
And that price is loss, loss of freedom, loss of family, loss of connection. Um, it's always that price. You're always going to lose something with us. And that was my experience. Um, I lost family. I lost freedom. Um, I lost connection, not just with people. I lost connection with the God of my understanding. Um, again, being a child of the 60s, we had a term uh, probably around uh, 1970 in that area. Uh, we called those that uh, had religious experiences the Jesus freaks. I became a Jesus freak <laughs> is what we called it at that time. Um, you know, and so I had a, a, a born again experience, you know, for lack of a better term, that did not save me from sexaholism. I did my best flirting at church. I set up my very first affair at church. Um, the church was not the answer because I was the problem. And I didn't know that. I really didn't realize any of that. Steps two and three were, were uh, approached with an attitude of, I got this. And I had to learn that I had to let go of everything I thought I knew about steps two and three so that I could actually experience steps two and three. Um, I've learned that this disease is always waiting to take me back. One of my sponsees says, you know, SA will gladly refund your misery if that's what you're looking for. I'm grateful for those that have gone back out and came back to share what happened. And what happened was they stopped working the program. So I, I dove into this program. Um, you know, God sets things up for each individual, I believe to meet that person right where they are. And where I was, was that I couldn't go back home. My children were still under, uh, under age, and so they would not let me go back home. From the day that I was arrested for my sex offense to the day that my wife and I actually lived together, eight years passed. Um, my, term, my term was 30 months. I did, I did two and a half years um, in, in prison. But my wife and I, you know, God did something that I, I, I can't explain it. I think we finally became friends during that separation. I think we finally learned what uh, intimacy was and it had nothing to do with sex. You know, we read that uh, sex is optional. My first attitude was, by golly, that's an option I'm going to take. Uh, but what I learned is that sex really is optional. It's more about connection, it's more about intimacy. And so we learned to be pretty intimate with one another so that when we finally did get back together, um, it was a whole different type of marriage, a whole different experience. Uh, and and I, I had nothing to do with that. If you ever get an email from me at the bottom of my email, I have those little signatures and mine says, God made all of this out of nothing. And I, I want to make sure that I remember that, that when I came into this program, I brought nothing. And today I have a lot and I had nothing to do with any of that. Um, so I went through the steps uh, like everybody should. Uh, I call them the homework steps. Um, I am grateful for the sponsors that I have had because I am one that has never had the attitude of, well, I'm done with that step. Now I can finish uh, the others and I'll be done. It's more been, this is the classroom. I'm learning this principle so that I can now 
practice this principle in all my affairs, not just in SA. Um, and I'm so grateful for those that have taught me along the way. And it's not just sponsors, you know, it's people that I do meetings with, people that I've met throughout the, the years, um, people like yourself um, who have taught me. I'm always trying to learn something new. I believe that wherever I am, uh, especially in program, I have a new new principle to learn. And I try to approach it that way. Um, I am also one of the fortunate ones because my wife is in uh, a companion program. And I have sponsees who, whose wives have always said, this is your problem. I want nothing to do with it. Not realizing that they had so much to do with it. <laughs> uh, and so my, my significant other, my wife and I have been able to do recovery together uh, for a long time. Uh, a lot of couples meetings. Here's, here's one. I learned healthy sexuality from a bunch of sex addicts and essenons. Uh, who would have thought? But we all are on the same journey and we all receive, uh, you know, these little snippets from our, our higher power and we get to share those. Um, my sponsors have been very big in service from my first sponsor. Now I have, I've had three sponsors. My third sponsor now I've had since 2007. And, uh, and I'm most grateful to him. Um, he's an old timer in the program, old AA guy. So he's pretty tough. You know, those are AA people. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot from him. Uh, and so my sponsors were always big on service. And so they got me in service. Um, they've taught me to never say no when asked to be of service. Um, we follow some of the things that I've learned mostly from the big book of AA. Our real purpose, I always kind of paraphrase it, our real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and people about us. After all is said and done, that's why I'm doing this program, is to learn how to fit myself to be of maximum service to, to people. Um, I think my recovery journey started way over in left field and now i'm kind of like in right field and i've gone all around the bases uh and there's still so much to, to learn because the idea is that it, it's not over <laughs> this is what i love about this program is that these are life experiences that never end um i i look forward to each day um i want to share something that i read yesterday in the aa daily reflection so i'm going to read this real quick uh, because it just hit me so wonderfully. And it talked, I won't read it all, but it talked about our common welfare, tradition one. Our common welfare comes first. SA unity, or excuse me, personal recovery depends on SA unity. And so it talked about the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous or Sexaholics Anonymous is our most cherished uh, quality our society has. We stay whole, our SA dies. And the rest of what it talked about, it talked about um, remembering that I'm not a healer in this program. I'm still one of the patients, uh, and I need to remember that. It talked about um, the elders before us who have built a wonderful fellowship, um, and that uh, without it, I probably will not be alive. And then it talked about the fact that, that um, I set aside my need to dominate, my desire for recognition, 
and remember that I'm just a part of the program. And what that said to me yesterday was the importance of looking for the group conscience. And the group conscience sometimes takes a little while. Um, I can remember one of my, uh, oh, when I was a delegate for the, uh, on the GDA, uh, I, I had one of my other delegates from my region who was one of those that he would hear something and I could see his body move forward. Like he was ready to just jump on it. And I would go, sit back, let's watch and see what happens here. Uh, I was one of those people. You know, majority rules, let's get this done. And I've learned that uh, it's it's most important to try and listen to the group conscience and hear what's being said. And I've tried to mirror what I think I'm hearing, always being willing to set that aside. Let me sum things up if I can right here is that I sit here today. Um, I'm on a registry, which is an automatic uh, scarlet letter. And that's okay. It's exactly where God wants me to be. Uh, I stand here today with a lot of wreckage in my past. I've hurt a lot of people. I've used this disease to recreate, to medicate, to take from others. Definitely what was lacking in myself. And today, I don't take from others much anymore. It's more about what God gives. Um, and I try to be that open vessel. I can't imagine, uh, first of all, I never would have imagined I'd end up in a 12-step program, that's for sure. But today, I can't imagine not working the 12-step program. And I want to emphasize that word, working. I have to take action every single day. Um, and if I don't, I'm going to be one of those that has to come back here and tell you why I went back out. Um, but if I ever do go back out, I promise I'll be back in eventually. Um, so with that, you know, that's a little bit about my story. Um, well, thank okay. you so much, Tom. Yeah, it was succinct and very powerful. Um, <clears throat> I related to um, parts of your story. I mean, for, well, for me, the, the herbal program was a very big part of my story. Um, but the sexual program is what got me sober from the herbal program because such powerful steps um i was i guess i was 13 14 when i lost my virginity so a little bit older but and i also have a lot of children but i, I never thought about you know um comparing i think it's it's the part of the craziness of my childhood is that I kind of feel like I've got to allow my children to have that their own craziness to get, you know, to, to find their way. That was the only way I would have found my way. I also had my own religious experience mid early twenties um, and it didn't change anything. Um, and also ca I came in early forties um, and yeah, thank God I, I didn't come in uh, being forced by the police. I was forced by my wife, but um, I wasn't actually forced by her. Um, the point was that, yeah, when you, this program only works for those who really, really, really want it. And I appreciate that. And I like how you put that in the beginning, um, that the people that are forced in, they still have a, have a choice. And you're one of the lucky ones, uh, because we do see a lot of guys come into the program uh, when they're forced in. And, uh, you know, those are the ones that don't really last as much rather than the ones that, that come in wanting it. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, I guess you've had, uh, you've had a few years to hone, to hone your work here. So uh, you mentioned that, uh, 
<laughs> even even I've taught you something. I don't think other than how to pronounce my name, I've taught you anything else really, other than uh, just being uh, an annoying startup, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> an annoying young. Uh, what, what would they call it? I don't know. You know, someone who thinks that they know everything and knows how to do everything. That's what I'm good at. I really like. What was? What, can you read that quote again? That that last part of the um um of the of the quote from yesterday's reading. It was about. Uh, uh, we have to steer away from being. So, uh, yeah, let me, I'm going to read that paragraph because it's really powerful for you, for people like me. Yeah. Um, the active role in renewed surrender of will enables me to step aside from the need to dominate the desire for recognition, both of which played so great a part in my active sexaholism, deferring my personal desires for the greater good of group growth contributes towards essay unity that is central to all recovery. It helps to remember that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I love um, that so much. So powerful that because the need to dominate and the need for recognition are two of my, you know, big, um, two of my biggest failings that, um, that, 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 that I, that I have to call out every single day and, and, and let go and try not to try not to dominate. And I guess I appreciate what you're saying. You know, there's, there's a part of it, which, which, which kind of might, my, my uh, the other part of my brain goes and says, no, I want to, uh, you know, what about the minority opinion? Cause I kind of heard what you were saying was that you know, you've got to hear what's the group conscience. Um, and in the group conscience, there is a minority opinion, but that's part of the group conscience. You don't have to be the minority opinion. You have to hear what the group conscience is really saying. I, I really like that. And yeah, I, I, I think I, I've learned through service that that is probably most important. And that comes from concept five, that minority opinion. Um, I watched whole votes change based on one or two minority opinions. Um because not because it made sense, you know, it's not about if I can, you know, that's manipulation. If I can come about you this way and you can agree with what I'm saying, you're on my side. Oh, you didn't. I'm sorry. Maybe you didn't get it clear. Let me come around at you. Another side. It's more about allowing people to share and listening to what God is saying to me. Totally. And yeah. It's a different experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've also I've also seen it when the minority opinion will come in and just flip the entire vote on its on its head. It's amazing. Yep. It really is amazing, and that is the group conscience. Yeah, and service service is so important, and it's important to mention that I've you know that you really do an immense amount of service. Fair say, it's it's beyond understanding the amount of hours that you put in on a daily basis for SA. Uh, so. Um, you're a figurehead and and someone to look up to, and I appreciate that in you, Tom. I'm I'm just it, I'm another bozo on the bus. You know that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that that's the aim. The aim, that's the aim, isn't it? The aim is to just get back into the center. Uh, and it's kind of what you said about being left field and then going into right field. I mean, I'm I'm not a baseball ge uh, geek. Uh, I, I I understand. It doesn't actually that that doesn't even make sense to me. What I do understand is that in recovery. You have to go from one extreme to, to the other extreme, right? Yeah, uh, um, in order to get to the middle. But the aim is to get into the middle, to get to to not be better than or worse than. One of my favorite quotes in the big book is, "We are average Americans." Just that simple, you know, that simple yeah. AA. It's like we're not 
special. We're not worse than. It's like, yeah. that's what we're trying to be. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's jump into these questions that, um, the, you know, that part of what the fireside chat is about is uh, giving newcomers tools and answering these different questions from your own perspective. So the first thing is around lust and you mentioned it. You talked, you talked about what lust is for you a little bit. I'd like you to go into a little bit more. What, what, what does lust actually mean? Because someone walking into the rooms has not got a clue that lust is the problem and not the fact that they're masturbating or touching people in uh, appropriately or going to porn, to, you know, to porn, whatever it is. So what, what is lust and where's the connection? You know, I'll take take it from our literature. Lust, real simple, and this is what Roy, how Roy put it in the in the White Book about lust. Simply takes the natural into the unnatural. Very simple, um, and it's not just about sex. Lust comes in many forms, um, but it always drives me to my drug of choice, and that's the difference. So here's one. Here's one. I'll share a little bit of my lust. That my non-sexual lust. When my wife and I um, were finally going to get back together, finally the kids had gotten old enough, and we uh, we had people in our lives. They all said, "You need to get out of that house and get a new house, a new start." So we did. Um, and my first experience of actually buying a new house, I'd never bought a new home before. And in my office, we were here's some insanity. We were in a condo with two teenage boys <laughs> a 600 foot one bedroom condo talk about learning to get close while we waited for our house to be built at my desk i had the plans right next to me and i would stare at those plans constantly i came up every weekend to take pictures of every board that was placed every piece of concrete that was poured and it finally hit me that's lust it's not normal to obsess. It's nice to think, oh, wow, we're going to get a new house. This would be great. But I was obsessing. And this was in program. Had I not been in program, I probably would not have realized that. So I took the plans and I put them in the drawer. And I didn't come up every single weekend and take pictures of every board, maybe once a month. Um, and it was exciting. And, and But what that told me is that that's, that's lust. Um, you know, it's, it's quite normal. This will bring, bring me back into the program. There's nothing abnormal about seeing someone who's attractive. That's very attractive. It is nor not, that's not, excuse me, let me rephrase it. It's normal to see someone that feels, that looks fairly attractive that I'm attracted to. It's not normal to drive around the block three times so I can wonder what she might look like or he might look like. Um, if we were to have sex, that's not normal. And I used to do that. I would drive around the block three times, four times. Um, here's another lust. I used to like to go to a certain famous coffee place here in the United States and be on the corner and have coffee. And I would people watch. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm lying again. I was not people watching. I was body part watching is what I was doing. That was lust. I don't do that anymore. I don't go to that coffee place. Well, I do. I go through the drive-thru. Um, but I don't sit on corners to quote people watch. It's not good for me. I've learned to um, try to be present 
with whoever I'm with. And that includes um, in America, football, in, in, in Israel, it would be soccer. Uh, when those games are on TV and my wife and I are out or I'm out with other people, I turn my back to the TV I, I, or it'll suck me right in. Um, that's lust. Uh, failure to be present. Maybe that would be another way to put it. So yeah, I probably go on and on on that, but that's enough. <laughs> I, yeah. I, no, it's, it's totally failure to be present. And w- what's interesting for me is that one of the things I love about lust also not that I love lust, is that it's so personal for each of us. Each of Lust manifests itself differently for each of us. For example, um, you're talking about people watching. For me, uh, one of my biggest lusts is wanting to be lusted after. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my people watching days, which would happen in the underground, what we used to call the, what they call the tube in London. Yeah. So um, as I recall it, I don't remember it being body part watching as much as it was trying to catch who was lusting after me. That was my lust, but it was the same thing in my denial. I called it people watching. I was a people watcher, but it's all insanity. Right. And, uh, and I also, it's very, for me, what you said about obsession, I think that, um, I always say that obsession is the flip side of the coin of fantasy, um, that they're both, that, that you get different hits from them, basically. Uh, but it, it actually directly saying that obsession is another form of lust, I, I think it's important, it's important to say that. I, I hear that and I accept that. Um, yeah. and it's important you know, to I know. take that from one of our readings that talks about taking from others to lack what's lacking, to, to fill what's lacking in ourselves. Right. And, you know, when if you have low self-esteem, well, then if you can get somebody to to like you, then you're okay. And that's what drove my my lust with sex is, you know, if she would smile at me, I felt a lot better. But if she'd have sex with me, oh, my God, I was a great guy. Right. Um, And that is there. And that is so tied in with lust. Lust becomes the avenue to take from others uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so for the newcomer walking into the room, um, there's a lot of questions that come up. Does this program work? How would it work for me? I'm hopeless. I'm different. No one's done the stuff that I've done. Is there really any hope for me? Is there anyone else like me? How do I know it's going to work? Could it work? What's your experience with newcomers walking into the room and especially that I'm different phrase that we'll all use, that we've all used? I'm not like them. Exactly. That was me. I'm different. I'm not a sexaholic. Just sign my card. Oh, the court papers that prove I need to be here? Ah, don't listen to those. My minimization was it's just a bump in the road. Well, it was a lot more than a bump on the road. So I think, you know, remembering for those of us that have been in the program for a while, remember that we, too, had that deer in the headlights look. Like, what am I doing here? Oh, my gosh, how do I get out of here? Do I, I don't need to be here, on and on and on. I think what we do at a newcomer's meeting is, is stress the point, listen. Listen for six meetings. And see what it says to you. And then we'll talk again later. I think listening to the stories of all the different people is what I realized that helped me. Because I was not the only person in that meeting 
who had a court card. Um, there were others there. And so I had hope that, you know, once I accepted the fact that I was actually a sexaholic, I started having hope that that my life was going to change, that uh, that something different was going to happen. Um, I think also for the old timer, or not even the old timer, if you've been in SA for a while, tell your story. It's important to share your story. You know, a lot of meetings become dumping grounds. And I encourage myself and my sponsees to follow the guidelines. What was it like this week or today? What happened? And what is it like now? And if you're still stuck in the problem, you haven't worked the program. And that's the same thing is, is, you know, listen to the stories, the people who are sharing. This is what it was like today or yesterday. This is what happened. And this is what it's like right now. And they're sharing the solution. And that's important to share the solution for the newcomer to hear. So that's a great start, but what are they going to do to get sober? What, you know, okay. Coming back to six meetings, um, unless they're really desperate, uh, you know, that's not going to, that's not going to kick in uh, the beginning of what we're going to call real sobriety. What do they have to do? What, what, what suggestions do you bring? to people on day one to get sober. One of my sponsees, um, probably within the last five years, uh, he passed away, unfortunately, but he taught me the set aside prayer, a version of the set aside prayer. And, you know, I don't need to recite that to the newcomer. I need to recite that to myself, which is set aside everything I think I know about you, God, SA, myself and my disease for an open mind and a new experience. And then I start talking. You know, one of the things that I like about face-to-face meetings, I think there's a connection that happens. And Zoom is nice. Zoom is a great, great avenue for meetings. But I think there's something that I pick up in a face-to-face meeting and I can grab that guy as we're walking out and share one-on-one I've never thought myself to be a dynamic speaker. Um, I've been invited, to, fortunately, to and to speak at different events, but it's it's a venue like what we're doing right here, where I can just talk one on one and share my experience. And it's talking that one on one with somebody who's brand new, um, you know, hear their story a little bit, and find where do I relate, so that I can put them at ease. Um, and share my own, uh, how I relate to what they're saying so that they don't feel apart from, you know, it's all about learning to feel a part of, and I get to be that avenue. And it usually happens not in a meeting. It usually happens after a meeting, or I make sure a newcomer has my phone number, call me, you know, uh, and, and let's talk. Um, that's where the connection happens in, in my experience. Do you have and any, then the uh, hope is that they'll learn that that person that just talked to me was in the same place and they're sober today. If they can do it, I'm sure I can do it. Right. We hope that that happens. Right. The identification is is the key. It really is yeah. the key. Um, and, and what about initial withdrawal? Uh, I know it's obviously been a long time since you went through withdrawal. I don't know. You know, not everyone goes through withdrawal. What do you? 
Uh, there's emotional withdrawal. There's different types of withdrawal. I went through a physical withdrawal, which was beyond painful. Um, what kind of advice do you give to someone to get through the withdrawal? You know, I went through so much withdrawal at the same time. <laughs> you know, when I when I got out of prison, faced with having to live by myself, and and it didn't make sense to me. I own a home, and I can't go there. So I'm going through emotional withdrawal. I'm going through uh, sexual withdrawal. I'm going through a lot of withdrawals. What advice? I try not to give advice, but I give experience. And that's not just my experience, but based on others who have shared, which is you got to you gotta be willing to feel the feelings. This is what our drug did. It took away the need to feel the feelings. It masked that. We, you know, one of my sponsees, I love his quote. The good news is you get your feelings back. And the bad news is you get your feelings back. Um, and, right. you know, giving yourself permission to feel it, to just get mm. through it, because you will get through it. They will pass. This, that, that's the simple thing that my wife said to me all my, my two years in prison was, this too shall pass. She kept saying that. And she was right. At the time, I thought, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, you know, feel the feelings. This is what's neat about our program. And I try to express this to the newcomer. You're not alone anymore. You're not going to feel these by yourself. you got people around you that have felt them. And they know what you're going through. And they will help you feel them. And help you get to the other side. Did you go to um, SA before you went to prison or did you only join after the prison? It was after. So you weren't sexually sober in prison. So the whole thing came at once for you, I guess, afterwards. Yeah, I think for me what happened is, again, I mentioned that I had already had that that spiritual experience. And so um, for lack of a better term, I was not I was free from sexually acting out in prison. Definitely not uh-huh. free from lust. I definitely was lusting my rear end off. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the word technical sobriety. You know, I think that's a word. That's a word that takes people into all kinds of different directions and ways of justifying. So, um, I'll just leave it at that. I, I was not free from lust uh, at the time, um, but I had not sexually acted out from the day I was arrested. And that had more to do not with where I was physically, but where I was spiritually. I was trying to call, claw my way back to some some connection with with the God of my understanding. Right. And how does that look like today for you, being free from <laughs> being free from lust? Um, do you exp- and experiencing temptations? How do you how do how do you experience temptations today? And uh, do you, and do you have a freedom from lust that allows you to kind of have that joy response? One of the last times Roy ever spoke, uh, it was after his first surgery and he was healing from that. And it was before his cancer returned. He came down to our inner group, um, talked about people of service. He lived about two hours away from where our inner group was. And uh, we have a seven o'clock in the morning meeting on Saturday and he was there Um and so I'm, I'm in the audience and I'm listening to him share and he shares this. He goes, I'm not free from lust. 
pause for effect. That was Roy. And then he said, however, I am free not to lust. And I got it. I knew what he was talking about. So that's really where I am today. I'm not free from lust. Lust comes all the time. Attempt to, uh, the temptation to take a second, third, fourth look. Um, here's one. The temptation to use the, quote, three-second rule. <laughs> I don't have a three-second rule. I, I, I can't afford that's too much time, way too much time. Because I've learned that, well, this is what I do with my sponsees. I say, when you call me, I want you to tell me where lust is. And if you tell me lust is low, I'm going to hang up on you. I don't want to talk to you. I want to know where are you with lust today? Because I learned that if I do that for myself, I can always find places where I wasn't, I wasn't practicing recovery. And it might be something as simple as, um, erotic inflation, we call that innuendos that I might say, things that, that I drop that have a sexual overtone. I caught myself doing that before in recovery. Um, so yes, that's, that's definitely lust. Um, but the second thing he said, which is I am free not to lust. So every time Again, I talked about trying to listen. I listen to what is happening within me. We have a song here, um, an old old spiritual song. I surrender all. And if you ask any of those people, what are you surrendering? They're probably going to say, well, you know, I'm surrendering everything. Well, my God likes specifics. And so when I do my 10th step every morning, and I do it in the morning, I tell him what I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering that look that I had yesterday or the wrong thing that I said, um, the lust that I felt tempting me to walk down that path that's full of barbed wire, cactus, <laughs> um, because it always will hurt. Um, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> and um, what suggestions do you have for people that come in and relapse and relapse and relapse and relapse? The three most important words in this program for me are keep coming back. Whether you're a newcomer who thinks, I don't need to be here, please keep coming back. If you're uh, a guy that's been in the program for a while and you go back out and do some research and development, please come back. And if you're an old timer who has never relapsed, who's got years and years of sobriety, please keep coming back because we all need each other. So I welcome the person who relapses over and over again. There may be parts of me that think, oh, come on, when are you going to get it? But that's just my own selfishness, self-centeredness. I want to be the welcoming arms and say, I'm glad you're here. Is your experience that they will eventually get it as long as they keep coming back? Yeah, and I believe that really a lot is that you know, we again, I go to our readings a lot. That's why we read them at every meeting. SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, for those who know, they have no other option but to stop. Um, I think everybody needs to come to that realization. And some people get it right away. Some people get it after a couple of months. Some people get it after a couple of years. The point is, is that we all need to get to that place where we realize we have no other options 
but to stop. And so, yeah, I believe that. I believe that eventually the constant slipper will get it. And I still want to be there with those welcoming arms when he says, I think I got it. I knew you would, (laughs) you know. Let's talk about the first step. (laughs) Um, Am I a bad person? Well, should we talk offline about that? No, (laughs) no, I am not a bad person. Um, I'm a sick person. Um, Yeah, I've done some some pretty nasty things. That's for sure. Behaviors have not been good. That's for sure. Um, But yeah, I am not a bad person and nobody is a bad person. I believe this is what Roy taught too, that I really like is about the true self. And we pick up all these character defects along the way from the day we're born to whenever. And we still are picking up character defects. And all those do is um, mask the true self, the the person beneath all that. And so in recovery, I've started to unpack a lot of those character defects, uh, little by little, surrendering them, becoming willing to let go of those things that I've held on to so dearly, so tightly, um, and allow God to remove those. And and I'm not the guy I was when I walked into this program. You know, uh, and that's the same thing. You know, I'm not a bad person. No matter how my behaviors have, have gone, you know, I'm I'm just a guy, just a sexaholic trying to get well. How do you understand the allergy? Um, I take it. I used to struggle with that, you know, because we talked, uh, we would <clears throat> learn about how Bill talked about this, this allergy to alcohol. <clears throat> and I said, oh my, how am I allergic to lust? And this is what came up for me. What is an allergy? First of all, it's an a- adverse reaction. Now I have allergies, um, to grasses and, and, you know, during the springtime here in the California desert, the wildflowers just burst. And that's, oh boy, I, I got sinus issues really bad. I have an adverse reaction to pollen. Well, the same thing. I have an adverse reaction to lust. It takes me places that I don't belong in. Again, I talked earlier. It takes the natural into the unnatural. That's my adverse reaction. Um, so yeah, I'm allergic to lust. I cannot afford any of it. I will have an adverse reaction and I still do, you know, again, I'm not lust free and I can feel it. You know, a lot of people have a problem believing that sex is an addiction. And I, I put it this way, you know, when I feel lust coming in the chemicals in my brain, I can feel them just start to bubble. And that's an adverse reaction. Um, It's a chemical reaction. Just like alcohol, your body has a chemical reaction to alcohol or drugs. You know, you introduce different chemicals, the body's chemicals are going to have an adverse reaction. That's how I explain it for me. And that seems to fit. Yeah, that's how I understand the chemicals that we produce when um, obsessing or. Uh, fantasizing 
that's mm-hmm. the they're, they're, they're both flip sides of different forms of hormones that we're excreting that we're actually addicted to and we have an adverse reaction to them we and we need more and more before you were talking about lust and loss and you were connecting mm-hmm. the two is that how you understand unmanageability I think I probably started at the beginning, you know, looking at what unmanageability is, which is always when I'm trying to manage. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, yeah, I would. I would say because what happens in unmanageability is the striving to control, and it can't be done. And so you're striving for something that's unattainable. Unmanageability. <laughs> You know, in my program, in our in our program, we learn about surrender and about giving over to this power that's greater than ourselves. And it's always in steps. You know, I can remember going through the, oh, God, help me to do this phase, um, which is perfectly fine, except I was taking control. I felt I was. And so today I bring God into everything, um, you know. The people who are more spiritual than I am want to call it a God consciousness. I just call it uh, a Tom consciousness. I, I cannot manage things. I need the influence of a power greater than myself. Um, I've been doing my career for over 40 years. And there are still times where I look at something uh, and I just can't figure it out. And I think my first thought is always, come on. You've been doing this for 40 years. You should know this like the back of your hand. But I don't. It's because I haven't brought God into what I'm doing. Because I had the attitude of, I'm doing this for 40 years. I'll know exactly what I'm doing. Um, You know, it's most important for me to connect with God in all that I do, whether it's something in program, out of program, um, because otherwise I will end up in unmanageability. yeah, I think the simple answer is trying to control something that I cannot control. Which is everything because God's running the show. Yep. And it's like exactly. either, I'm, either I'm in management or God's in management. And I'm definitely not in management. Exactly. Especially if I've done my third step and I've really taken my third step, then it's time to let go of being in management. And um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's also an understanding of my own character defect. Now, I, I have. I have really good management skills, but I don't know where the line is between management and control. And I cross that line constantly if I don't have God involved in what I'm doing. Um, I will turn management into micromanagement. We don't want to do that either. Um, you know, it's 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 gotten to a point for me that without God, I really cannot manage well. And, you know, and that's different than, you know, oh, I can't be a manager. Yeah, lots of us, we have to manage different things, manage a business, manage a home, uh, whatever it might be. But, you know, I need to have God there so I don't cross that line because I don't know where the line is. I'll start controlling everything. I don't relate to that at all. I know you don't. Uh, and and you went straight when we started about manageability. You went straight into surrender, which is actually the next question, because surrender, um, especially for people that are not religious Christians, because it is kind of a Christian concept in, in many ways. 
it's like, what are you talking about? I'm going to keep fighting this fight until the day I die. And now you're telling me that the secret to recovery is surrender. How, how, can you explain a little bit more for you how you understand surrender? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that comes from step four and then daily step 10, realizing what am I latching on to? Um, surrender, of course, is not a giving up. So giving over. And what I've learned um, that when I when I fail to surrender, it's because I'm holding so tightly onto some character defect that I don't want to let go of. And that character de- defect is a substitute for uh, a real connection. Um, we can all talk about control. We can talk about um, um judgmentalism, uh, whatever it might be, some character defect that I am holding on to. Um, and surrender is, you know, again, recovery comes in phases. And so I can remember days of, it's more like trying to be, um, okay, fine. The program says surrender here, God, take it all. Well, that's not surrender. That's giving up. Active surrender is giving over, letting go, first starting with a willingness to let go of what I'm holding on to. Um, Control in a certain situation, here's one. Adult kids are really hard to parent because you're still looking at them as little boys and girls that you could control, and now you can't control them anymore. And, you know, it's, I have to let go of that with all my children as I watch them make mistakes, remembering that those mistakes are only my perception. They may not be mistakes at all. And how can I encourage my, my adult kids? Um, and that's, and then I can go into a giving over, giving God that particular defect that I've held on to for so long. Um, and I may have to come back and do it some more. It's not about one, you know, one and done. It's about every time this pops up, I need to be willing to let it go sometimes hard. Do you ever get complacent? Yeah, we talked about that at our meeting, um, actually, uh, uh, last night. (laughs) Um, I think complacency uh, also is, it means different things to different people. I think my complacency, now I have a routine that I do because I could get complacent very easy. And every morning, every morning, uh, I get up for everybody else. My wife is a night person. I'm a morning person. So we're in, talk about completely different time zones, um, most definitely. And so I'm up in the morning uh, and nobody else is up. And a perfect time for me to do my, do my, uh, um, my spiritual uh, stuff, which is uh, reading literature uh, in our program, doing my 10th step. I used to struggle with step 10 because I thought you were supposed to do that at night. My sponsor says, we'll do it in the morning. I said, I can do that? Well, the instruction said, when at night, we retire at night. So yeah, I do it in the morning. Um, And I spend time in prayer and in meditation. I do that every single morning. I work my steps one, two, and three, reminding myself of powerlessness, insanity, unmanageability, and that there is one who will help me get through this day. Um, but I get complacent um, with some of the other steps that I don't do on a regular basis. 
I've started looking recently, I've started looking at step three a little bit more um, and steps two and one with a different outlook. I'm trying to get like recentered on on uh, humility and steps one, two and three are all about humility. Um, you know, everybody thinks about step seven. Oh, that's the one about humility. Ah, that, actually, all of them are. But how can you surrender unmanageability and control if you're not having some type of humility? So I've been working on that recently. Um, I do get complacent about um, some of the other steps that I don't do regularly. Uh, I haven't done an amends, a step nine amends in a while. I do step 10 amends all the time. But you know, step nine amends. I've got one right now that's kind of on the front burner that uh, here's one. I owe an amends to someone in our program who just recently came into our program and is someone from my past. You know, you'll never know who you might meet in an essay meeting. And I have a big amends. I need to just sit down and he's only been doing Zoom. And I, I, I don't want to do a Zoom amends. I need to go see him. And, and I'm getting a little complacent about that. Um, so I'm glad you asked me that. I'm going to move that a little bit more to the front burner and get that done. Yeah, well, they call step nine the freedom step for a reason. Exactly. Um, so you were talking before about how you learned from essays and essanons how to have a healthy uh, sexuality. How? Uh, what? What is a healthy relationship for you? What is healthy sexuality? How do you understand that? Mm. Well, you know, I'll start with the extreme. Um, is that I always believed that intimacy was what happened in that bedroom or on that couch or in the backseat of that car, and you can go on and on. Um, today. Um, Sex is an expression of intimacy that's already been established. And so the point is, is that intimacy is really about connection. Uh, it's not about sex. Um, I'll, go, I'll go off grid here a little bit. We have a, a book that we've uh, read, and, and some people may have read this, called The Five Love, Love Languages. And we learn our hardwiring, basically. And so my wife is a toucher but non-sexual touch and i can tell her i love her all day long and she just doesn't get it but if i walk behind her on my way to the sink and just touch her shoulder or give her arm a squeeze she knows i love her and she just turns and says me too and it's hard it's like learning a new language if i was to go go if i was to come visit you and you took me to uh, a meeting that was being done in Hebrew, I would just be lost. I, I don't understand it. Now I could learn it. And that's the key is that I don't understand non-sexual touch. I sure understand sexual touch. Um, and so I had to learn how to, how to speak that. Um, you know, so intimacy, intimacy is connection and we need to make sure that we stay connected. Um, and this is, I'll end with this. If we are focused on the intimacy, the connection, sex will take care of itself. And it may happen a lot. It may not happen at all, but that's not the problem. The problem is, am I opening up and being intimate with my partner? I love the concept of 
intimacy starting with me. For me, that's been a, a major groundbreaking change in terms of me understanding what intimacy is. That it starts with me being into it myself, and which, which as an addict, I was never able to be honest with myself. I was in denial. So I can't even begin to have an intimate relationship with another if I don't have one with myself. And I can't begin to have one with myself yeah. if I'm not willing to actually work the steps, come out, you know, clean, clean up that trash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your higher power and how you relate to him and spiritual awakening. How, how do you experience the spiritual awakening? Okay. Two questions. First, my higher power um, looks very similar to the higher power I had before program. I brought in a lot of spiritual dogma. You know, I shared about being a Jesus freak um, back in the day. Uh, and, and of course, I had some great teachers, some great pastors. They, they shared a lot. But they also shared it's this way. Or the highway. And so there's, that's the dogma I brought in. That if you did not believe the way I believe, you're going to hell. Sorry. I don't believe like that anymore at all. Not even close. Um, I remember I was in therapy and my therapist suggested I read some um, uh, philosophical uh, readings. And my first reaction was, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'll be struck down. That's like fortune telling. But I read them. And it did nothing but to enhance my basic beliefs. So my beliefs are pretty much the same. But I'm more interested now today of hearing how other people approach their higher power so that I can learn something. Um, I've come to a place where I believe with all my heart that Whatever spiritual journey you're on, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, I can. I used to think, no, that's wrong. No, I don't think that anymore. I know what's right for me. It's like our program. I know what works for me. I can only share my experience. I could read the books to you, but you know how to read books. I need to share my experience, not just reading. Well, the same thing, my higher power. I can share what works for me, what my experience is, but that's mine. And whatever your experience is, I want to hear it. I might learn something. Um, what was the second part of that question? <laughs> well, the spiritual experience. How have you? Oh, yeah, yeah, Spiritual yeah. awakening. Have you yeah. experienced it? Yeah. I, you know, I equate that. First, I'll go to the big book. When, when. Bill explains the spiritual awakening. I think the real explanation gets into the part where he talks about we were rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence. That tells me more than anything about a spiritual awakening. But I also believe that Roy, when he would talk about a change of attitude, was talking about the exact same thing. I came into this program with a lot of twisted attitudes. And those things have become untwisted. I had nothing to do with that. That's the change of attitude that happens as I work the steps, traditions, and concepts of service, all of our principles. Um, and I want to remind myself, um, even here, that it's not about 
just steps. You know, our, our three legacies, our steps are what gets us sober and helps us to stay sober. But there's, there's another 24 principles here, you know, traditions, learning how to relate with one another, how to play in the sandbox, and then concepts, which teach me how to be of service. You know, I mentioned earlier, our real purpose is to set ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. How am I going to do that? The concepts teach me how to be of service. They taught me how to not say, hey, majority rules, that's what we're going to do. It taught me to say, I want to hear what that one person, that one minority opinion is, because I might change my mind. I might hear something I need to hear. Um, the attitudes have changed so much. Um, and I can't believe them sometimes. And they just keep happening. Uh, as recovery deepens, attitudes change. Um, I don't drive 80 on the freeway anymore. That's an attitude change more than anything. You know, I'm not in that number one lane trying to beat everybody. I'm way over in lane number two or three. Just taking my time, enjoying the day. Um, that's an attitude change, not necessarily a, a habit change. Um, and I think change of attitude matches what Bill talked about when he talked about spiritual awakening. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. We all have those aha moments. You know, we'll read something and go, aha. The reality is I read that millions of times. But something for the day, just that day, that 24 hours, got me to say, aha, I need that. That's a change of attitude. Absolutely. I love it. That that really is the spiritual experience and the experience. That's, that's, as I'm living in my 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 new existence and recovery i'm exp i'm experiencing everything with a change of attitude so simple H how do you see the difference between sobriety and being sober and uh being um and recovery ah uh, big difference big yeah. difference um if you uh i did i did a couple of years ago uh, my grand sponsor uh, and I did a uh, a thing on on SIM, our SA Internet Marathon on on sober is not well. Uh, of course, that comes from uh, what Roy wrote about um, sobriety. Or excuse me, um, my acting out behaviors were just a symptom of a deeper problem, um, and I've come to learn and, and experience that. And so getting sober is one thing. I got sober a lot. Now stopping, that's a whole different issue. Um, you know, so once you have stopped, you are now in this place, at least I was in this place of having all these character defects and no way to medicate them. That's the withdrawal we were talking about earlier. Now, what am I going to do? It's recovery that starts unpacking all of these character defects that I used my lack of sobriety to medicate, to not feel. Um, but then it goes deeper than that. For me, recovery is that day-to-day -day living 
24 hours at a time that's going to help me not just accept other people. It's always going to help. It's also going to help other people accept me. Um, it's learning how to live a life of serenity. And that's a lot different than, than uh, oh, my wife is really new agey. I'll put it that way. And she, uh, she has no problem living in the now. Me, I'm a future tripper. I live in the future. And learning how to live 24 hours at a time has been a struggle. Um, it takes recovery to learn how to do that. Um, it's learning new attitudes. You know, again, God had nothing to do with my attitude, or excuse me, I had nothing to do with my attitude changes. It's things that God has taught me along the way. And now I have to actually learn how to do that. Um, that's recovery. A lot different than just being sober. I think there's a lot of people that are just sober and they think, oh, I've made it because that's all they wanted. And so I share this a lot. If sobriety is all you want out of this program, that's probably all you're going to get. And you're going to be miserable. And you're not going to be able to medicate all those things that you medicate. You're not going to be able to recreate. You're going to have to find something else. And I think you'll be miserable. I think that's a key, Danielle. I think that's really a key to why people keep slipping. Is they haven't gotten from sobriety into recovery. And you'll break. I would. If I'm not in recovery, practicing these principles that I've learned, I would break. Because it hurts so much. The pain of the past, the pain of the now. And I just can't. I got to find something. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think that one of my biggest takeaways from sitting with you here this morning, this evening, has been also that. The other thing that you said is also such a key to the difference between sobriety and recovery. And that's, am I willing to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and others? Because if I'm looking for that, then I'm living a life of recovery and I'm, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm busying myself with goodness and not taking. Um, and it's, it's a similar, it's a similar theme. It's, it's, it's the same thing. A lot of it also is motivation. Why are you here? Well, we both talked about. We came here because the judge said, if I didn't, I'd go back to prison. Or my wife said, if I don't come here, I'm out the door. And so we come here for a lot of different reasons. Gets back to what I said earlier about finally getting to a place where we ourselves know that we have no option but to stop. And a lot of people don't get beyond, I'm here because my wife told me I had to be here. Or the judge or whatever. And Again, that's why it's so important that people get to this place of I have no other options. And, and, you know, the other thing is to remember, we talked earlier about, you know, the newcomer. I'm not responsible if the newcomer stays or goes. I'm not responsible for anybody's sobriety. I'm responsible to share my experience, strength and hope. What worked for me? And if you get it, great. And if you don't, maybe somebody else will share something that you'll get. But that's what's got to happen. Um, and I think there's it's sad. And I'm glad they're still coming back. But I think there's a lot of people who haven't moved from sobriety to recovery, which is experiencing that, that spiritual awakening, that change of attitude, fitting ourselves to be of service. 
it, it also brings me back to something else that you said earlier, uh, which is in, in terms of why do I really keep on coming back for me? Uh, and there's, there's a certain selfishness to it as well, but it's a spiritual selfishness is that this spiritual life, this it, it never ends. It, it, it's constantly expanding the experience of, of, of spiritual growth, of, of finding more out about uh, about myself on a spiritual plane and about the and about the world and god just gives me these glimpses of you know um oh i realized something I, a, a few times recently my wife has said to me oh i realized something and i pointed out that's a spiritual experience mm-hmm. you know when you i i, I had a and whenever i have a realization i'm having a spiritual experience uh and that's happening because my brain is in a i i am physically in a place that i have a vessel to then receive that realization mm-hmm. to receive that key and spiritual growth is like i say it's a certain selfishness to it but it's it's a it's a spiritual selfishness it's i gain i'm gaining from that i'm gaining life i'm gaining meaning uh, it's a very big deal for me. That's a lot of that has been the motivation, and it's so important to keep coming back, um, whether you're brand new or whether you're, you know, because otherwise the program falls apart. There is no program if you don't keep coming back. But um, right, yeah. But uh, but the gift is that I get uh, I get the gift of of life, the gift of being present, um, the gift of meaning. It's massive. Let's talk and about the gift the of connection. Right? And the gift of connection, which is what my problem was. My problem yeah. was lack of connection. Exactly. Um, so just uh, briefly, how do you understand this body of spiritual, the spiritual body called the steps? And I don't mean go through each step and tell me, you know, each one, what it does and how it works. This this body as a whole, what is the magic there? How did How, how, how does it just magically help us to stay sober and, what, what what is it doing? How do you get that? How do you see that? <laughs> well, once again, I go back to the very first things that Bill put in the uh, AA Big Book, and I'll probably screw up the quote. But a set of spiritual principles that have worked on a daily basis will relieve me of a seamlessly hopeless state of mind and body. I was in a hopeless state of mind, <laughs> that's for sure, and body. You know, a lot of people think, well, sexual addiction is not a big deal. It's not going to kill you. Well, I have a lot of friends in our program who have brought home things they didn't bargain for. And they gave that gift to their partners and on and on and on. And most, many of those, if untreated, will kill you. Um, that sounds like a hopeless state of body. <laughs> uh, definitely my mind. These are a set of spiritual programs, uh, or spiritual principles. We are in a spiritual program. Um, that's for sure. And I understand that. And I also experience that. That alludes to lots of what we've been talking about, is that change of attitude. Um, call it a spiritual awakening, if you'd like. But it's a change. Something happens where, um, and I can't stress, worked on a daily basis. This is not something that you work at a meeting twice a week. Uh, And now I'm going to four meetings a week. So aren't I great? If you're not working these and learning these, this is, you know, I can't get over that part about we are here learning a principle. It's like learning a song if you're a musician. Learning how to make a goal if you're a soccer player. 
whatever it might be, we are learning how to live. And that's probably the most thing, uh, important thing I would share is that it's not just only about learning the steps, it's learning about living the steps. This is a living, breathing program. And, um, you know, once I got through the homework part, they came alive. All of these principles, you know, again, I remember the first general delegate assembly I went to. I was in awe of watching all these people from all over the world, by the way. We didn't have a lot of people from from all over the world, but um, we had we had uh, a couple of delegates from Europe. Uh, and so I'm watching all these people who have the exact same defects of character that I have doing the fellowship business. And it was just amazing to watch these people work. And I thought, my gosh, I don't know if I'm up to this task. <laughs> um, but God was up to the task. And, you know, in, in working and learning and expressing the things that I had learned um, as far as the spiritual principles, uh, I got to be a part of that. And I learned more uh, being a part of that. You know, it helped my recovery. Um, so yeah, I believe I believe that these are spiritual principles, and I believe that they're principles that need to be lived, not just studied, you know, not just intellectualized. You need to live them. Is ego the core of my problem? I know that the big book says that selfishness is the root of our problems, um, but from a spiritual point of view, you know, ego. How, how do I understand me? Me uh, relieve me of the bondage of me. I like to change the words instead of bondage yourself to the bondage of me sometimes. Um, do I have to get myself out of the way and then I'm fixed? I almost <laughs> wanted to answer fixed. that. Like you personally? Yeah, I can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we've got your sense of humor down pat already, Tom. We know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to be out of the way. This is the deal. If I'm not connected with the power greater than myself, I have nowhere else to go but to lean under my own understanding, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it. If I'm not connected to the spirituality of this program, I am right back where I started, running the show. You know, it's not about let me get myself out of the way. It's more about let me connect to God, and God will move me out of the way. Uh, there's no, I, I have no problem with that. Again, it's it's about what we talked about earlier, the willingness to let go. You know, we have these wonderful slogans in our program, let go and let God. Easier said than done. The reality is, got to let go and let God. And that's the part where I'm, I have to be in a place of, a, of willingness. And that's really the only thing I bring to this program is willingness. Willingness to change. Willingness to try something different. Willingness to step off the edge into oblivion. Willingness to let go of that character defect that has done so well for me. All of that. It's also gotten me into trouble. Um, yeah, willingness. That's really a key here. We talk about that in our program. Willingness is the key. And if you just turn that a little bit, the door swings wide open. And that's been my experience. Right, the 12 and 12 talks about willingness as the key. 
Um, okay, we're going to finish with three questions. Uh, the first one is, what is the most important thing for you in program? If you had to take it down to one thing. Um, connection. That would be the one word, connection, whether it be to higher power, to my fellows. Um, I try hard to hear the group conscience. This has probably been one of the hardest things in, in my service work. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick a subject near and dear to our hearts, you and I. Uh, things that we're doing right here, which is recordings. And we have done a lot of talking and debating and whatever on that particular subject. And part of me really was on board with making sure that recordings of our speakers were available. But there was this other part that that in my when this is when I was um, the, the trustee chair is we had a lot of data protection laws that came into play. And, you know, how do we navigate this and making sure that our central office, which is um, a legal entity, is protected. And it was really hard for me. And it would have been easy to say, you know, I'm on board with what you're saying. Let's do it. But I was hearing something different, and it's been really hard for me to connect. It was at that time to connect with what higher power really wanted in those situations. And, and I never I never claimed to have the right answer. That's for sure. I don't think there was necessarily a right answer. It was learning how to navigate something that got thrown into, uh, into the mix. So, yeah, connection. I'll start with that. Have the 12 promises come true for you in your life? Yes, and they will, I'm sure, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, you know, all of those things, the promises um, have definitely come to fruition. A lot of them stand out. Um, uh, we will know a new freedom and a new happiness. <sighs> I don't get it. You know, there's so many different places I could say I should be unhappy here, but I'm not. You know, this is a new happiness. That's for sure. Another one was financial fear. Talk about getting wrapped around the axle. I can I can still think like yesterday. I would sit at my desk doing the bills, not having enough money to cover the bills, I thought, and yelling at my wife, you need to get out there and get another job. I'm going to get two. <laughs> and she would come in and say, you know, God's always taking care of. He'll take care of you too. I growl. But she was right. And today, if I do a budget, the outgo is always more than the income. But God always gets us through every month. You know, so those are just a couple of the examples. And I say they will because there's so much more ahead of me in this program. Um talk about the gift that keeps on giving and this program is a gift and it does keep on giving um, as long as I'm willing to give. Remember, the measure we gave is the measure we get back. That's my motivation for service is I love working with conventions. Uh, that's my, my passion, watching what happens in a convention. Sometimes conventions are the very first meeting somebody goes to like a deer in headlights conventions are full of old timers that are willing to share their stories 
and I need to hear those stories. And so at the end of the convention, we do a wrap-up meeting. And I always started, um, you know, I'm on the International Conventions Committee still. And I always tell people who are doing conventions, and I'll tell you this because you're doing a convention, you will have a spiritual experience. And no, no time at all has anybody ever said, I never had a spiritual experience. Usually at the wrap-up meeting, I see tears from people, not because, oh, man, it's finally over. It's because of that spiritual experience. And I love that stuff. Um, that's what I get out of being of service and, and just being in program. What do they say? Watching a fellowship grow up around you? Yeah, I like that. It's beautiful. And finally, what's the biggest gift that you've received from your recovery in SA? I was sober yesterday. <clears throat> and I can remember there was a time I could never say that. And I think I'm going to be sober today. At least that's the plan for God and me. <laughs> um, that's got to be it. Yeah. I, well, I, to that I can't so top much. that. <laughs> no. <sighs> it, 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 it's the most important part of my morning prayers. Thank you for keeping me sober yesterday. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one that got me. <sighs> well. It's been such a pleasure sitting with you and getting to know you more because we've we've sat in a lot of service meetings and I've, I've never really had a tr true chance to get to know the other side of you, Tom, and I really appreciate it. I really do. And I um, appreciate you taking out the time early in your morning to sit with me and share share this. And this, you know, this podcast it is important. A lot of people are getting a lot of recovery from it. I had a, a lot of people having a go at me for not, recording and putting them out for the past eight months so i'm grateful that i'm back on track and hopefully uh at least get this season finished and then maybe go in a different direction but um it's really yeah thank you so much for, for joining me tom i really appreciate it thank you for the opportunity it's it's yeah i've enjoyed sitting down with you and yeah we have done a little bit of service together here over the years and yeah and this is i told you at the beginning this is what i love to be able to sit down one-on-one -on -one. so i will invite anybody if you see me at a convention or a conference grab me we'll grab a cup of coffee on a corner and we'll share well hopefully a lot of people will have a chance to do that in january 20, 2024 thank you for listening to today's sa fireside chat we hope you've enjoyed listening and gained as much as we have producing it Anything you've heard on this podcast is strictly the opinion of the individual speaker. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. If you have any questions you would like to pose to today's speaker or a burning desire to reach out to them, you can write to me at daniel at safireside.com. Remember, SA is self-supporting through its own contributions. You can donate to 7th Tradition by going to sa.org forward slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast or visit safireside.com to hear all the previous Fireside Chats, as well as the future ones as soon as they're released. May God bless you and keep you until then.